Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Carolyn. And we don't talk about hit TV shows that often. No. On the podcast. I mean, we've talked about New Girl, Mad Men. We mentioned uh, My Strange Addiction. Nikita, La Femme Nikita. La Femme Nikita. Don't even get me started again. Your favorite. <laughs> um, but it doesn't come up. I feel like TV doesn't come up all that often, especially not specific reality television shows like My Big Fat Gypsy Wedding. Right, which has caused quite a stir, especially since it's come to America. And so now it's My Big Fat American Gypsy Wedding or Gypsy American Wedding? I'm not sure. Uh, it's one of the two. But that debuted uh, late April of this year, 2012. And uh, it's it's caused a lot of discussion to happen because um, some people are saying that it portrays the Roma or traveler community in an uh, unfavorable light. Other people are saying that it's pure entertainment. Yeah, and the show airs on the TLC network, which we should say is part of our corporate family. Um, but we're, we're really not wanting to talk so much about my big fat gypsy wedding and what you might see on the shows, but more to provide a factual background for what is on there. Because you see the advertisements, you see, uh, these typically preteen and uh, early teen girls dressed up in lots of makeup and dresses and because the the whole sort of narrative arc of My Big Fat Gypsy Wedding is that each episode usually follows a group of travelers who are preparing for some kind of celebration, whether it be a wedding or prom. I've only seen one episode of it, actually, and it was all about um, one girl who was going to prom, and her dress was enormous. It was huge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they didn't, she couldn't fit onto the the limo with everybody else. <laughs> We'll see if they'd have one of those limos that has the pool in the back. They could have just drained the pool and put her in that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's random. Problem solver Problem you are. Problem solver. But, okay, so we, we should probably go ahead and talk about um, what these people, these different groups of people are called. Yeah. Because we've used the word gypsy, and that is offensive to many. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also being reappropriated by some groups as a general term for their culture. But the actual word itself is a misnomer. Throughout their history of existence, basically. Yeah, uh, figuring out the the history of the Gypsy or Roma people is tricky to do because for a long time, no one really knew where these people came from. And there right. was this assumption that uh, because there was a large group of them, this is centuries ago, a large group of them in Greece, it, they were assumed to have come from... Egypt, because they had darker complexions than uh, other Greeks. Right, and one book even posited that maybe some of them did tell people they were Egyptian. Just, you know, why not? Mm -hmm. Um, But this group's ancestors really have nothing to do with Egypt, Egyptians, North Africa. They came from northern India in about the 11th century, uh, fleeing in the wake of raids that sought to spread Islam. Yeah, and so they were sent out of India, and they they gradually begin to 
settle westward. And uh, scholars put this together once they realized that um, there were bits of Sanskrit in their vocabulary. And so they trace them back to India. But we should also distinguish between people of Romani, as uh, these folks are called, who, who came from India and travelers who are featured very heavily in um, the British version of My Big Fat Gypsy Wedding, who are nomads of Irish or English origins. Um, and travelers refer to non-travelers like you and I, Caroline, as settled people. Hmm. It's pretty, it sounds, makes it sound pretty boring. I mean, I rent. I don't own. So I'm not entirely settled. But I actually, when I lived in Augusta, um, and if you're anywhere from around that area, you'll know what I'm talking about. I actually lived very near a settlement called Murphy Village, which was in South Carolina, which is an Irish traveler settlement. And my sister-in-law, who went to nursing school in Augusta, actually used to do outreach work in their neighborhood because these are a very insulated people. They have very insulated communities because they're suspicious of outsiders. I mean, they've been treated pretty poorly for centuries. Yes. Based on, you know, observed differences, perceived differences, and so on. But I remember my sister-in-law actually warning me that if I ever went to go check out Murphy Village to make sure that I had a full tank of gas and had recently had my car tuned up. Well, it seems like that, that suspicion goes, yeah, it goes both ways of mm-hmm. outsiders, um, you know, heaping all of these bigoted stereotypes on gypsies as thieves and liars, whereas, you know, gypsies have no interest in fraternizing with non-settled people because, uh, basically because we're jerks <laughs> and they've, uh, you know, they've, they've existed outside of, uh, mainstream society for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and writing in response to the exposure that they've gotten from my big fat gypsy wedding, uh, Irish traveler Christine Crawley writing in The Guardian says that most gypsies and travelers try hard to integrate with their neighbors wherever they live, but bigotry means some have to hide who they are and it's because we are so fiercely protective of our children that we are so afraid. So, uh, that, that, Snippet gives a hint at the just how deep these kind of, um, I guess, two-way suspicions run. I mean, it doesn't help that, for instance, recently in France, the Roma have essentially been kicked out by the government. Yeah, nobody really wants them. Mm. It's it's sort of a massive immigration issue without really being an immigration issue. Yeah, and they're referred to as Roma or Romani because Romania has historically been the friendliest to them in terms of government benefits actually allowing them to set up traveler camps there without um, hustling them on their way. Right. And Professor Ian Hancock, who is the director of the Romani Archives and Documentation Center at the University of Texas, himself a Romani gypsy uh, of Romani gypsy origin, says that, yeah, for the bulk of their history, these people have lived in the West. They might have had an Asian origin, but that, as he said, that was a thousand years ago. So for the bulk of our existence, we've lived in the West, and places like Romania have given them sort of not a settlement. They're not they're not settled people like we are. Right. So since TLC just kicked off uh, the season of Big Fat Gypsy Wedding taking place in the United States, some listeners might be wondering how... 
travelers and Roma communities transplanted over here. And some Irish travelers came to America during the potato famine of the mid-19th century, and about 25,000 still live in Ireland. And, Caroline, you mentioned uh, Murphy Village mm-hmm. near Augusta, Georgia, and that actually is the largest traveler community in the United States. It's it's a very strange community. And of course I say this as an outsider, mm-hmm. you know, just it, like it a seems, settled person. I know, just like a settled person would. But it's very interesting. They have they've built these humongous houses. And travelers are are uh overall sort of uh, known as being devoutly Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so they build these huge houses with uh giant statues of Jesus and the Virgin Mary in the front yard, and their windows are covered in tin foil. Hmm. They don't actually, most of them don't actually live in the houses. They live in nearby um, trailer parks, actually. It's it's a very interesting culture. I was actually in the mall one time trying on shoes like I do. And I heard this woman near me. She was with a bunch of other women and some children. And she was talking in this weird accent. And all I could think was, man, that woman has a thick southern accent. I can't understand anything she's saying. And it's because she was probably speaking Shelta. Which is one of their, um, it's one of their languages, basically, that's kind of taken directly from their Irish dialects that they spoke when they were still in Ireland. And in addition to Shelta, travelers may also speak Gammon or Cant. And all of these combine elements of Irish, Gaelic, English, Greek, and Hebrew, which um, is so indicative of their travels. Right. Picking up different elements of different languages as they moved across the, uh, across the European continent. Right. Well, just like the Romani did, um, when they moved out of India. So a lot of, you mentioned Sanskrit earlier. So a lot of their language, you know, maintained some of that Indian language. But when they moved into the Greek speaking Byzantine Empire, all of a sudden now they're incorporating a lot of Greek words. They just sort of picked up vocabulary as they went along. And so it's interesting. Um, Hancock, who I, who I mentioned earlier, points out that Greek words are second only to Indian words in their vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's been really difficult to keep track of um, the Roma language because, you know, it's such a diaspora and everyone's speaking slightly different dialects. And that's one thing that scholars like Ian Hancock have tried to do is actually start to keep track of this history and this culture as scattered though it might be. Um, and in addition to the travelers in the United States, we also have gypsy populations of the Rom Ludar Romnikals. I hope I'm not mispronouncing that. Uh, black Dutch and Hungarian gypsies who came to us from places like Serbia, Russia, Austria, Hungary. Um, we have the Romnicals, and I feel like I must be saying that wrong. I don't know. Um, but they are English gypsies who came over starting in 1850. Um, the Black Dutch are gypsies from Germany. Um, Hungarian gypsies, can you guess where they came from? <laughs> Yeah, and they worked as musicians in the Hungarian and Slovak immigrant settlements here in America. Yeah, a lot of um, gypsies uh, are music makers. They are into animal husbandry, jewelry making, furniture making. There's the whole thing of like the fortune tellers. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, and that's and that's one complaint that some gypsies and travelers have had about the portrayal on reality television is that it's just showing this. Um, superficial side of it and not showing them actually working hard. Right. At these, you know, these traditional crafts that they have 
kept up for centuries now. Well, you could argue that part of the issue now is unemployment or underemployment among these communities because of their traditional skills, which really aren't in use now. I mean, the original Irish travelers in Ireland would go from town to town in horse-drawn carts, and they would earn money through busking and tinsmithing, which is how they came to be known among outsiders, subtle people, as tinkers, which is a slur that they definitely do not like. And along with the issue of unemployment, uh, as we mentioned earlier, there is the association with begging and pickpocketing. And if you go into some communities and talk to some travelers and some Roma, they will, they'll say, yeah, some of us do commit crimes. Yes, this happens, but that is not who we are. There's mm-hmm. still that issue of, of prejudice. Um, but when it gets down to family structure, it is about as paternalistic as it comes today. I mean, the, the men and the women have their own kind of separate realms, and women definitely wield a certain authority within the house. But when it comes to, I mean, when it comes to day-to-day living, it's still the men who are calling on the shots. If there is a dispute within the community, the men essentially form these uh, councils that will decide on things. Whereas women are expected to do the housework. If they're girls, they're expected to stay virgins, help around with mom, and get married pretty early. Yeah. Well, uh, in Isabel Fonseca's book, Bury Me Standing, The Gypsies and Their Journey, it, it is very interesting. She She sort of embeds with some Roma families and talks about how these very young girls are having children. So these babies end up having grandmothers, great-grandmothers, great-great-great-grandmothers. Um, and there's all this support, which is great, because it's just the girl's job to be young and have babies. Well, I mean, there's uh, something to be said for the younger girls helping out with um, their siblings. You know, that's something that... A, a child care system, family structure that goes back for a long time that simply become outdated for settled people right. that still goes on. But there is a concern over whether or not they should be arranging a marriage for a 14-year-old. And that's something that's a big controversy, too, that this show has raised because, as my big fat gypsy wedding, the title implies... Yes, there is a lot of focus on young girls attracting husbands and potentially getting married. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of the show, it's an interesting kind of duality. Uh, Slate Magazine had an interview with some of the uh, young women that are featured in the show. And one girl, who's a uh, Roma Gypsy from Georgia, actually, said that, you know, we can't kiss or talk or flirt. So this whole dressing and skimpy clothes and everything is the best way to get a boy's attention. And then she says, plus, it's in my blood. We just love to dress real fancy. Well, and uh, along with that, she is um, she knows that boys who are not in the Roma or traveler community will look at her and assume certain things based on the way that she is dressed that could endanger, you know, her, her purity. So yeah, I mean, there is this, this whole 
duality. And she she talks about how um, she, when she went to middle school, she was no longer in like formal school. She was homeschooled a few days per week. Um, but when she would go to middle school, she would talk about kids making out in the hallway. And she says that's just something a gypsy girl should not be exposed to. Yeah. And yet we're horrified by seeing, you know, the girls in belly bearing shirts and super short shorts and lots of makeup and spray tans. Yeah. Well, as the writer at Slate points out, it's sort of it. The clothing serves to separate these girls. Because even though it's skimpy and we think, oh, my gosh, that girl is, you know, potentially putting herself in harm's way, um, she knows to stay away from outsider boys because it's been hammered into her head, basically, by her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, t- speaking more to the issue of gypsy girls, up to 75% of women in the Roma community are illiterate. This issue of schooling or the lack of schooling um, is a pervasive problem among gypsy and traveler communities. Um, and teenage pregnancy is expected and desired on top of that. So, you know, you don't really need to get all that school because soon you're going to be a mom. And as The Economist points out, some families take their kids out of school, not only because they expect their young girls, their young daughters to start getting married and having babies, but they also partially want to maintain their gypsy distinctiveness. Right. It's all about maintaining culture. Um, there's a 2009 column in The Guardian by former traveler Roxy Freeman, who talked about how she'd never been to, sc- uh, to school but that wasn't really a big deal because she writes, many like me never attend school while others are illiterate because formal education is not a priority in our culture. So while the lack of education, formal education, has been um, a big concern for public officials um, who might have, you know, Roma or traveler populations in their communities, uh, the issue of health is also a big problem as well because, Eastern European Roma, for instance, die 10 to 15 years earlier than the general population. And um, a study published in the journal Lancet attributes that to social factors like poverty, substandard housing, limited access to health care, and inadequate nutrition. Because I don't know if we've noted, uh, we've uh, pointed out the statistics, but poverty is a huge issue. Um, this is from UNICEF st- statistics from 2005. 84% of Roma in Bulgaria, 88% in Romania, and 91% in Hungary live below the poverty line. Right. Well, I mean, if, you, if you're living in poverty and you're an insulated society, will you go out and seek health care? I mean, unless it's an emergency and you've, you know, cut your foot off or something. Um, but a lot of the health issues they face uh, are like diabetes coronary artery disease, um, issues with a lot of higher elevations of fat in the blood and obesity. So all of these things are really tied together, all these health issues. And there's also um, a higher infant mortality rate. Um, in Italy, it's three times higher among the Roma, and in Ireland, it's twice as high. And they attribute that to Roma women beginning to have children earlier and having smaller babies as a result. And in Slovakia, the low birth weight is four times more common among the Roma, just underscoring um, that issue of the, the infant mortality gap. But again, it's that whole issue of um, the insulation. You know, they n- might not be stepping forward to self-report these kind of health problems. Health workers aren't necessarily being op- welcomed with open arms into the communities. So what do you do? Because there's still this persistent problem of discrimination. Right. As Ian Hancock, who we've mentioned several times, pointed out, we're the largest ethnic minority in Europe but have no political strength 
military strength, economic strength, or a territory. And and so it's interesting to make the argument of having basically a home base for the Roma or traveler populations because that kind of goes against their culture that they've maintained for so many years and that some of them want to maintain. But as but Hancock argues, you know, when when people with like Americans for instance went from the cart to the car, nobody thought that was a bad thing. That was progress. But why is it bad when my people want to do it? Mm-hmm. Why should we try to maintain things that aren't in our best interest just to maintain this sort of sense of culture or community? Hancock describes the Romani people as a foreign, undesirable population. Like the Jews, we were the quintessential outsiders. And speaking of Jews, one thing that I didn't know until I was researching on um, the gypsies was that they were, thousands of them were also exterminated during the Holocaust as well. And during the Nuremberg trials, only one um, Nazi official was held accountable, specifically for crimes committed against um, the Roma people. And that's something that's, you know, not in the history books that often, probably because they have been such a blighted population. Right. Well, they're not that you can't point to a country yeah. or a religion and say they are persecuting these people for this particular reason, from being from this place, from looking like this. They're more of a kind of a nebulous group of people. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I guess it's harder to really tally up the exact number of people who perished. And, you know, Hancock attributes that, you know, they're non-Christian, non-white and associated with Islam for centuries. And so that immediately aroused suspicion. They were outside the norm. And it doesn't help that you have um, people like Czech politicians who, in a 1998 Economist article, referred to them as born criminal. Right. You know, I mean, how are you... Like, for instance, take the the situation in France where they were recently um, sent out of the, the country... And we aren't talking about that many people. And yeah, there are these problems of kids not going to school and girls being, um, you know, raised in very, uh, patriarchal household structures and the poor health conditions and the issue of crime. But if you just keep kicking them out of places, nothing is ever, nothing's ever going to change. Right. But I mean, I guess too, you could say on the flip side that the, you know, the groups don't necessarily want their way of life to change. Yeah. I mean, what we see in the in the show, for instance, on TLC, is such a small sliver of their existence. And so that's why some people are arguing, you know, either show show us in a more flattering light, don't show any of this at all. And some people are glad for the attention. I mean, it, it just depends. Or even not as flattering, but a little, uh, maybe more comprehensive than just following them to the tanning salons, to the dressmaker, and, you know, to the playground when they, sh- during school hours. Mm-hmm. You know, show them working, show them interacting with their families, with their communities, instead of just being ostracized, right. essentially. So I gotta say, you know, even though I have only watched one episode of the show, it was, it was entertaining. But having done the research as well on their history, there was something uncomfortable about watching it as well. I mean, this isn't the first reality show to potentially, you know, uh, exploit a, a community or a group because of those kind of differences that they have from the mainstream. Um, but with gypsies, like you said, because they have, there's not that one 
country of origin to point to and one concise history. They don't even have, you know, a, a language that they all share. Mm-hmm. I think that it makes them more vulnerable to these kinds of, um, I don't know, to people, outsiders misinterpreting their lifestyle and their values. There is, and there is more activism happening. For instance, I saw one website in the UK that was seeking to basically provide um, Roma and traveler populations, children with the same educational opportunities, like keep your children in school. Let's, you know, provide lunches for them. There's several charities that have uh, sprung up over the years to try to do that. Mm -hmm. So that's all that we have to say about um, the the Roma gypsy traveler (laughs) communities. I hope that we offered some kind of insight into all of the pop culture coverage that they've been getting lately. Um, but any feedback from listeners? Be interested to hear if, if folks are into the show, if they've seen it, um, if they've had contact with gypsy communities, if you are of Aroma origin. Yeah. I would absolutely love, oh my gosh, I would love to hear from someone who's from Murphy Village. And if they're offended by what my sister-in-law said about make sure you have a full tank of gas. But, I mean, people, outsiders, were scared of that community, Mm -hmm. basically. Well, a lot of times, you know, people are scared of things that look different from them. Mm -hmm. So, momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send your letters. And I've got a letter here in response to our episode on nail painting. Nail polish painting. Painting your nails with (laughs) nail polish. This is from Carrie, who writes, I'm getting married in September, and my fiancé plans to get his nails done with all the groomsmen the morning of the wedding. He was planning on all of them having uh, clear nail polish until I told them they could get a manicure without any nail polish at all. Of all the unique-slash-crazy ideas he has had for our wedding including walking down the aisle wearing jerseys and having a chemical reaction as a symbol of unity in the ceremony, people seem to be the most opposed to the men getting manicures. It is only... It is the only one of the ideas most people, both girls and guys, think he must be joking about. Whereas most of the other ideas, the girls seem to think are crazy and the guys love. With all the opposition, we'll see if it actually happens or if the groomsmen mutiny before the wedding. I say get the manicures. Yeah. The, the man. Yeah, clean up your cuticles a little, get them buffed. Why not? Yeah, it can't hurt. So thanks, Carrie. Well, this is an email from Jenny uh, about our prom podcast. She said, I have a ra- uh, rather unusual prom story. My tickets and dress were paid for by my school to say thank you to my mother for doing so much volunteer work and because they knew my father had been out of work for about two years and things were tight for my family. I chose a simple T-length A-line dress that cost around $75, and at the last minute, my 10-year-old sister came as my date. I had dinner with my friends at the Hibachi Steakhouse, where we were all surprised by someone anonymously paying our dinner bill. I met my sister at the dance, most of which we spent waiting in line for a horse-drawn carriage ride around the block. While we were waiting, we were entertained by a little band playing swing music, and my sister and I put down our things and started swing dancing in the street. Several other couples joined us, and we had a fantastic time. Afterwards, she went home, and I went to a co-ed slumber party with about 15 people. We stayed up, ate junk food, watched movies, and crashed out on the floor. Because my sister and I had our photo taken, my prom cost me a grand total of $35. Even if I had paid for everything, my prom would have cost less than $200. And, even more importantly, my sister and I had a fantastic time, and I'm the only person I know who, 13 years later, can still say I love the person I went to prom with. Isn't that sweet? That is sweet. Uh, that's uh, We've gotten some great prom stories, but i got to say, that's... Taking your 
sweetest. That's one of the sweetest. Yeah, that's great. So if you have any sweet stories to send our way, momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send your letters or you can send us a, ma- a message. You can send us a message or a message on Facebook or you can follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. And if you'd like to learn more about what you've heard today, you can head over to our website and read How Gypsies Work by me at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?